are you able to estimate the Ryan Reynolds effect on men or your marketing? Or like, do you have a sense of that? Yeah, we don't estimate here. We have yeah. analytics. <laughs> You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Ryan Reynolds, my career has been an inch at a time. Our guest today, Aaron North, knows Ryan pretty well, uh, better than most. He's the CMO of Mint Mobile, a unique direct-to-consumer wireless company owned in part by Reynolds. Mint Mobile has distinguished itself for high level of service, low prices, and innovative marketing practices. And Aaron's played a huge role in helping the small firm disrupt the big telecom giants. Aaron, welcome. Excited to have you on the Elevate Podcast. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. So you're wearing the mint shirt with a green background. So on, on brand. Absolutely. Absolutely. Got to represent. <laughs> so we're going to talk plenty about your work with Mint Mobile, but uh, let's dive back a little earlier. What, what was your first professional role or what did you go to school for? And then what was your first kind of real professional job? Uh, well, I, I did switch majors in school. So I was a pre-med major or biomedical sciences major for the first three years. And then just, I think it was my father's passion more than mine to become a doctor. So for me, I made the switch, switch to, I got a business degree with an emphasis in marketing. Yeah. And it was really interesting because I was, I studied really hard in school, but that in the biomedical sciences field equated to like B minuses and C pluses. And yeah. then I switched to business with an emphasis in marketing and it felt right. And like my grades lifted almost overnight, which was really great. And then I actually got to experience college and have a lot more fun too, um, which was a really nice secondary benefit. Yeah. And, and, but did you bring the data skills to marketing earlier on? So was that uh, something you gained from that world? Well, believe it or not, we deploy the scientific method. So hypothesis, experimentation, observation, analysis, and then either retest or adjust or confirm hypothesis. So we do use a lot from it. Um, although I don't think you need three years of school to teach the scientific method. Um, we do use it and it is something I deploy or we deploy as a team all the time here. So, uh, I don't know how to dive into that path now. Well, let's, <laughs> so, so let's dive in. One of the challenges of marketing these days, I think is that it is, there is so much analytics or there are so many analytics that, that, it can paralyze people to take risk and you can see when something's not working. And, and so how do you, how do you sort of balance that 80, 20 of using data? You know, you said you have a hypothesis and then you test it, but are, are you someone who believes that you need kind of an R and D, like you need a pure R and D thing? Because I, I, you know, the more measurement I've seen, the more fear sometimes of trying something that's a little outside the box. So there's quite a bit to unpack there. I will try to do it succinctly, but you'll have to bring me back to the topic. You can use the scientific method. Uh, you know, take your time. <laughs> <laughs> what I really need is a, a notepad right yeah. now. Um, so I am a huge fan of failure. My teams know it. They know I preach it all the time and I live it. So I want us failing continuously. That sounds obtuse or it doesn't make sense when you're running a, a business, but it's very much the truth because in my opinion... If we're not failing on a regular basis, we're not pushing hard enough to the edge. And when you're a young brand and you're a challenger brand, 
if you're only doing tried and true, you're going to max out and you have to be willing to take risk and you have to be willing to just go for it. Now, I say I love failure, but I like failure under the context of we fail four ways. We fail fast, we fail cheap, we fail forward, and we fail smart. So we don't do things just for fun. They're all predicated on a gut instinct or a hypothesis. And that gut, that instinct is what I'd love to tap into. And that's really what good marketers have to start with. I think it's intrinsic. It could be learned over time, but you've got an inherent sort of ability to question and challenge the status quo. And you're willing to combine that with some creativity and ideation to come up with a new approach. We do that daily. So I set aside 10% of my media budget, actual real dollars to do that. At the same time, I also make sure that our brand marketing teams are pushing. I make sure that our direct-to-consumer team is pushing. It's not just media, it's the brand in totality. And oftentimes, you can do these tests really small. As a digital brand, you can take 5% of traffic and have it hit a stimulus. You can do these types of things and learn And what we have found is that, yes, we will fail. And we do it quite often. We're really good at it. But the fail rate doesn't really matter because we're failing low. So I'm good to have lots of small failures because when we have a success, what makes this group special is our ability to rapidly scale up that success into something that is materially driving the business. And that's sort of the trick, right? Like I want teams failing. I want teams pushing. Because I want us to find an edge case where we win. And then when we win and we're an early adopter or an innovator, we can push more dollars into it and put more focus on it and we get an outsized return. All right. Now I have five things that I want to unpack in what you said. Because, um, yeah, I've always thought of two things which correspond to what you said. I like fail cheap. But I think it's knowing the cost of failure, right? There's this notion of above the waterline or below the waterline failure. Like, does it sink the boat or does it not sink the boat? I think some... You know, that's what you're saying. That this is the 10%. And then two, like, do we learn something from it? And do we not repeat the same mistake? Like, that's the killer. Like, <laughs> doing the same thing multiple times. And we we actually had an open discussion with our team about this. We, we have a very process-driven organization. And I think people were conflating trying something and failing with failing to do something that needed to be done. Like, a weekly compliance check, right? Like, there's a process for that not doing that is a bad failure because it's something that we know we need to do and you're supposed to do, but trying something that doesn't work out, that does not guarantee to it, that, that is not the same thing as failing to do a core part of your job. Yeah. And we work with your team. So full disclosure yeah. for everybody who's listening, I know we're pushing your team and I know we're pushing them to try the untested, the unproven. That's really important to me. And I never punish our agency partners because of yeah. that. That's a strategic decision we're just, we're making. And we're asking our partners who are experts in these categories to help give us guidance on how to do that. And to be very, very transparent, we have tested lots of things with your team. And we have seen exceptional returns on those investments because you've got a group on our side who understand the affiliate business and the partnership business, but then we have your expertise as well and your ability to bring it to life. So you've got two teams that really are good at this and you're testing maybe an approach or an angle. So it's not like all of a sudden performance partnerships is new to the brand. No, we're going to take a new slant on it. And I think that might be confusing some people as well, but absolutely we do it across everything we do we're always testing. 
Yeah, and it doesn't surprise that we're, I think, able to do some innovative stuff with your team because I think you've set that culture. I always joke around, look, I, everyone's got their their agency sort of personas, which was some truth to, and then the client personas. There are so many situations where clients have said to us over the years, bring us something new and innovative out of the box. We go to a partner and they come with us and they're like, we've got this brand new program. We're like, awesome. We take it to 10 clients. And we're like, look, this, they're willing to launch this brand new thing. It's totally new. People aren't doing it. Here's what it is. What do you think the first thing they say to us is? Um, I know what I would say. So I'm trying to do You would probably that. say, well, I want to do it before anyone else does, right? You're like, damn right I would. Absolutely. I would say nine out of 10 go, this is interesting. Who else is doing it? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess if I ask that, it's because if other people are doing it, I don't want it. It's like you can't, this is a two by two matrix. You can't have new unexplored territory that you want other people to try it and minimize the risk for you. It's kind of one or the, it's kind of one or the other. Yeah. I'm also very unique in the sense that I feel marketer. So, so typically a yeah. brand marketer, but a marketer feels like they need to put their imprint on it before it advances past them. Yeah. I think it's something that is trained. I, I did agency and client side. So I've seen it on both sides of the fence you see it in school when you're doing programs and you know marketing curriculum. There's this, this almost like notion that if I don't put my fingerprint on it, then people won't believe I had an impact on it. Yeah. And I believe that so many of those times, all the person is doing is rounding the edge. They're taking some of the sharpness away. And that infuriates me. So I am my teams know that when we look at creative and we're evaluating creative, of course, there are brand tenants. There are things we need to deliver. But if we're going to give feedback and notes, this is creative. This could be an idea. It could be anything. You should be giving notes that are going to build the idea rather than just change it. Because just changing it typically leads to something that's watered down. It's got dull edges. And it's just not as good or not as fun. Yeah, look, you said this before, but this is just under some of this is understanding basic risk management. Anyone taking a risk, you know, if you were currency to be able to tell you the cost of that risk. I was reading an article last night about a guy who got caught up in Robin Hood and lost $300,000 and saved by betting it all on one option after he took 10 years to save this. And like you get caught up in it, but you have to know that the risk of investing in one stock is very clearly or an option that's turbocharged is that it can all go to zero. So a lot of these risks or these failures are quantifiable, right? Like, you know, people come back to you and they say, Aaron, like this 2% piece of the 10% R&D budget just didn't work. You're like, great. That's what R&D is for, right? It's not going to tear down. But if they came back to you and they go, Aaron, I, I took a, you know, this is where hedge fund, these guys get in trouble. I took a outsized risk and now I've destroyed the entire marketing budget. Like that's not a risk worth taking, right? I I, I, I have <laughs> done that before, though. Just like it's full it, yeah, yeah. Full disclosure. Well, everyone has to learn the hard way, and sometimes the problem is you don't. Learn, if it works out, you might not learn the hard way, right? And yeah. we got lucky, so we did that with Mint. We bought a Super Bowl spot five yeah. months after putting our first TV commercial on air. Like I bought the spot at CES, and two weeks later, it was running on television. So that was high, high risk. You had a business. I mean. Our marketing budget at the time was nowhere near that which should have a Super Bowl commercial, and we were spending. But you knew in what you paid that the you, the most you could lose was what you paid, right? I mean, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> and and I have done Super Bowl in the past with other advertisers, so I know what to expect. And it was a calculated risk, but it was a big risk. That is for sure. And and how would you rate the return? 
Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So what did you do? You know, there was a lot of discussion around, I think, Quibzy or whatever, where, where they did the Super Bowl ad and 80% of the people remember the ad. No one had, had any idea what they did. Like, hey, There's so much focus on branding, but for a new upstart company that's trying to get customers and it's direct to consumer, like what... How did you think about outcomes for a Super Bowl ad? So this is where I think it's most critical for who's ever the decision maker within the marketing department to understand the objective, which is really what you're asking. Yeah. For us, Mint had been going for three years. Many of us had a really good sense for what the issues were. And we were growing. Things were great. Like This isn't like we needed something to save the brand. This was an opportunity for us to go big. There was some brand confusion stuff, wasn't there at the time? One of the challenges that we face, and we still face today, is this notion that can it be any good yeah. for $15 a month? Like that is an inherent issue. It's a, we call it, you know, an insight is a human truth, and it's you get what you pay for. That is, that is built into our mindsets yeah. here in the United States of America that low price equals low quality. And in many instances, that's true. But what we've done is, well, I don't need to get into what we've done. The marketing assignment was really. How do we create validity and believability in our product? One of the things we had done prior to this is we had been on TV during the NBA finals. We had run ads there. We had run ads in the World Series. So we were using high-profile placements as a way to not only gain exposure, but to help legitimize the business. So Super Bowl is one where you advertise in Super Bowl, you better damn well have a good product because you're about to get <laughs> smashed, right? 110 million people are going to become aware of you. 
This is like Shark Tank. Half the people's websites break. They're not ready for uh, it, right? <laughs> so we knew what we were solving for. We were solving for legitimacy. We were solving for awareness. And like we wanted some transactional execution, D2C brands. We're giving the product away. We're Well, that's not true. We did a discount. Um, it was a deep, deep discount. Yeah. But the idea was get it out there and solve those three things. Now, the creative approach we took was we went gross. Okay. So, like in the category of creative, it was very gross. We did a spot that you couldn't run today. And in fact, the Wall Street Journal was quick to throw us right under the bus uh, when COVID hit because they felt our spot was, uh, was inappropriate. But we did a spot on finger dipping. Okay. And the idea behind the ad or the construct was, you know, we opened with wireless for 15 bucks. It's like, that can't be right. And then the Fox would say, yeah, it's right. You know, but like finger dipping, that's not right. And we, we had people at a dinner party around a bowl of queso and they didn't have chips. They were going in with their fingers and like one guest put a finger full of nacho cheese in another guest's mouth. And the spot was so gross. Like we had that memorable. Going. It was memorable, right? Yeah. yeah. You know what? I'm actually getting this wrong. I apologize. That was the spot we ran in the NBA finals in the World Series. We actually ran one called Chunky Style Milk yeah. for the Super Bowl, which is equally as gross uh, in the same context, right? So we did that and we took a very unique creative approach by design. I needed to stand out. But Bob, the other thing I needed was I needed people to remember Mint Mobile. Right. And mobile's in the name. Again, unlike the Quibsy thing where everyone's like, or the or you're like, remember that amazing whatever ad? I think it was a beer company. I don't know which one. Like that, that wasn't going to work for you, right? No. And if you physically dissect the ad, we say the brand name up front. Yeah. We say the brand name. Like there's, there's and it's three clear brand- what you do. Like you establish that. Yeah. And it's clear what the issue is or the, yeah. you know, if you have an enemy, the enemy is this, this sort of idea of you get what you pay for. And then we have a very comedic and fun out and offer. And look, the reality is, is we did not crash the website. We came close, but we knew what we were getting in for. And we just, the awareness shot through the roof. The next day, the dairy farmers of America came after us because they thought it was really gross. And as a marketer, I thought that was just a beautiful opportunity. So I capitalized on it (laughs) and just sort of took it to the next level. The U.S., um, is it the U.S. Surgeon General? Whoever's in charge of like the FDA came out and said, we do not advise you drink chunky style milk. And I was like, oh. isn't that kind of like what you were saying? Like, yes. was it, like yes. nor were but, you telling people to eat cheese whiz with their hands. Like that was the point of the ad, right? Right. <laughs> people don't know. People don't care. This is why I don't focus group ads ever. Never, ever focus group an ad. But it gave us an opportunity to have some fun and create a lot of like, conversation and that's really how, what extended the brand from our 30 second spot into that day that night the next day and so on and it really changed the trajectory of what we did right but you knew just to be clear going into that right you spent the money on that which is what four or five million bucks and like so that that was gone right so you either knew it's gonna work we're gonna have a return or i'm gonna be five million bucks short like no everyone everyone goes into that eyes wide open right yes when you sign the invoice, you are very well right. aware. <laughs> Which is different than someone taking a risk on something that might be uncapped or way more than, you know, it, it's almost like a trader would, you know, add too much leverage and, and get hurt, right? Could we do this too creatively? Yeah. I can think of instances where we ran a spot to launch Unlimited and 
you know, kudos to Maximum Effort, Ryan Reynolds and George Dewey, the team over there. They brought Rick Moranis back and I saw scripts with Rick Moranis in them. And as a brand that tends to have a younger audience, although we don't necessarily sell to a younger audience, the connection to Rick was definitely like there was a gap. You had to jump there. But I just looked at it and I said, unknown if this is going to work or not. But hey, this is an instance where I've got two creative geniuses. I'm not, I'm certainly not going to be the one who jumps in front of that and saying, let's get yeah. some contemporary actor to be in the spot. No way. Yeah. So you just don't know sometimes. And I agree. Don't bet your house on some stonk <laughs> or some, you know, uh, digital currency, but it is, it is good to take risk. Yeah. And, and just, you know, understanding risk, what, what you're taking. So, so I want to get into the fun stuff. Uh, I have to ask about, about Ryan Reynolds. So how did that partnership come about in the first place? Yeah, so uh, Ryan sits on the board for the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Our CEO sits on the board as well. The two happen to be at board meetings. Um, and I think it's just casual. It sort of comes up, what do you do? I run this company. We have this hot young brand called Mint Mobile. And it's a digital wireless service. You know, I think... I'm sure Ryan gets pitched lots of things all the time. Yeah. It wasn't really a pitch. It was a conversation. Yeah. Unbeknownst to us, he went out and bought the service on his own. And not because he couldn't afford whatever he was paying, but to to test it or to... Yeah, yeah. just to try okay. it out. Like he had heard David on several occasions talk about it and talk about this rocket ship of growth. And yeah. it's like, well, what is it? You know, you sort of uncover, well, it's wireless. You buy it online, you buy it in bulk. And he's like, huh, interesting. But he just tried it on his own. And I think... The aha moment was when he tried it, had had it for a few months, and realized this is the same thing you're paying for everywhere else, but it's fractional on cost. And we explained to him how we're able to do it, and that sort of was the moment, right? By well, it's literally the same thing, right? I mean, most people don't realize a lot of these, they're not building their own towers. It's the nope. same networks, right? Yes. It's just, if you understand store brand versus <laughs> other brands, or it's kind of this, oftentimes made in the same factory, right? It's the well, same yeah, analogy. And it's, yeah. it's coming, like you can find online, I think, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I think I've read online that Kirkland Vodka is Grey Goose. Like it's from the yeah. same product line in a different size bottle. Yes, we are T-Mobile's largest exclusive wholesaler. We run on the T-Mobile network. We get access to their 5G, 4G LTE service. It's a great partnership. I love it because I don't have to worry about infrastructure investment. So yeah. we buy from them wholesale, we repackage it and resell it, and away we go. Interesting. So then what happened? So then he came back and was he an owner first or was he a marketing partner first? Or what was the, the sort of chicken in the egg? Yeah. So uh, he tried the service, loved the service. Um, you go into sort of like a negotiation, if you will. And yeah. Ryan became an owner of the company. So Ryan bought into the company. Uh, so he was a subscriber, then an owner, and Ryan is involved in the business as an owner. Um, he's very tied into what we do from a marketing perspective, very much at the strategic level. You can, you know, just you wouldn't expect all owners to be involved in the day-to-day minutiae. You would not expect him to be involved in that either. But yeah, we're talking constantly. He has a high degree of passion and involvement in this business. Um, for us, it's sort of the the access play for, for everyone. We want everyone to have affordable wireless. Ryan wants to bring that. 
And we do it through a really interesting and fun way with marketing. He's involved in the strategic level where we set the plans for the year. He knows the media schedules and very involved in the creative manifestation of the brand, particularly when it intersects with his brand and how we present Mint to the audience. So yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible because I've worked, like I said, at agency before where you hire a celebrity to be a spokesperson. This is not that. Like He's asking really good, hard questions about the service and how to grow and what we're doing and where we're headed. And I think it's making us better as a result as well. Well, right. I mean, he's he's an owner, right? He's tied to it rather than, you know, there's plenty of influencers out there. You can pay them to say whatever you want and it doesn't have to be authentic. You would assume that he wants to do what's in the best interest of, of the business. Absolutely. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com elevate. I mean, but it's an incredible platform, right? I mean, how many followers does he have on social media? A lot, a <laughs> lot. I don't know the total number. I think it's somewhere north of 80 million people. Um, are you able to estimate the Ryan Reynolds effect on men? Are you marketing or like, do you have a sense of that? Yeah, we don't estimate here. We have yeah. analytics. So we've done. <laughs> you may not want to share analysis. it, but I'm just curious. No. Yeah. Well, look, what you would think is true is true. Yeah. Ryan puts a penny in the brand bank in a positive way. We study perceptions of the brand for those who are what we call Ryan aware, for those who are not Ryan aware. And then of course we have years of history before Ryan was with the organization that we measure against. And it's all positive. We're very, very lucky to have an owner that has such a strong brand and a high degree of trust. Yeah, I mean, it's Ryan's approach is very transparent and I, I think he keeps us very honest and, and we want to make sure we're delivering that premium experience for the customers as well. So how have you been so successful differentiating yourself in an industry by with all, all these well-established brands? And I mean, in some ways it's a commodity, but clearly you've created a different brand around it, even though the phone's going to look the same and literally you're saying it's the same network, you know, these guys have like, that's a, I mean, you've been very successful creating a brand around that. Is it, it seems like it's more than the price or is it just the price? Well, and let's be honest, you don't need to be kind to me. It is a commodity. It's odorless, it's colorless, it's tasteless, and it's touchless. Like you can't touch wireless service, <laughs> but you sure as hell better have it. Like nobody can go minutes right. without their phones nearby. It's a necessary utility, yeah. Yes, it is. It is the most essential of services because it's communication, right? Yeah. It's food, water, and communication. But I think 
intrinsically, one of the things that's different about Mint Mobile is we started Mint Mobile with outside-in thinking. So I don't come from the wireless space. I came from the taco space, the restaurant industry, right? And then before that, I came from the agency side. But the one thing I'm pretty good at is identifying consumer need and consumer want and really why people buy, which is consumer behavior. Yeah. And there, when we started Mint, there was a strong movement direct-to-consumer. Direct-to-consumer is basically the digitization of a lot of businesses. And for yeah. us, it seemed like there were enough case studies of brands. You have any stores? Well. No, no, not one. No, not one. Yeah. I'm just used now to everyone who's online opening stores and everyone has stores going online. Like <laughs> everyone crosses over. You can find us at Best Buy. You can find us at Target. Okay. Um, that's recent. Yeah. And again, some of that was to validate that the product is real and some of it is pure distribution, but they're awesome partners and it does get us more accessibility. But the reality is, is that when we started this and how do we create a brand and how we do different is we started with basically pushing against all the category norms. So before Mint Mobile, you couldn't even buy wireless with some of the carriers online. I remember going to um, AT&T and trying to buy AT&T service online. They would put you into an auto uh, chat and the person would not sell it to you. They would push you to a store. And that to me is just, that is, call it what you want. I would call it lazy thinking that your current business model is the best and only business model. Well, it's like car dealerships. Like, do we really have to go through this whole rigmarole? Can you just tell me what the car right. costs? Yeah. Right. And then just <laughs> deliver it to my house. Um, so, we challenged all the category norms. The first one being where you buy. So we had to figure out how to buy, how to sell and buy wireless online, and then how to make it so easy that you could do it yourself activate. Because I was scared. When I interviewed at this company, they were like, open your phone. We'll show you your SIM card. I'm like, do not do that to my phone. You're going to break it. Like I was genuinely frightened. Yeah. But that was the thing is we kept thinking outside in. Right. So we kept thinking about it as if we weren't from this space. Having that mindset made us make different types of decisions. We created the first wireless test drive where you could take the product out and spin it around for seven days. Nobody had ever done that before. Right. These types of things. And that all stemmed from a thought of if you could test drive a car, why can't you test drive your wireless service? And we kept doing that and kept doing that. And what we really found was that. First, the distribution channel was completely unique to us. Second, we were the only people selling wireless in bulk. We were the only ones. Now, it is very common today, which to me is comical because like we invented this. Nobody was doing it before, and now everybody's got it. How do you define bulk? Uh, so for Mint, you do prepay, right? So you're direct yeah. to consumer. You don't get the service on credit. We do, don't do contracts. You just pay in advance, Yeah, which is just... I mean, it's how you buy most products, right. not services. Yeah. So you buy on the website, you check out, we send you three months of service. So you have 90 days right off the bat. Got At it. the end of your 90 days, you get to make a purchasing decision again. To lock in the lowest rate, you buy a year's worth of service in advance. Got it. So it's like every other service out there, right? Yeah. It's exactly right. Okay. Nope. That was transformative to wireless. Yeah. Because normally it's just, you pay this per month, right? Yeah. And if you, if you use too much, you got to pay an overage. So we eliminated all that, all the things that customers didn't like. So it wasn't about getting more or less service. It was just how long you make commitment you made in exchange for a bigger discount. Correct. 
And that really landed with people. Look, there's so many people shopping in the mass uh, clubs. So you've got Sam's Club, you've got Costco. People don't understand buy in bulk and save. And you've got something that's odorless, colorless, tasteless, it doesn't spoil. People actually love it. Like you see people put in comments, ah, I just paid my bill for a year. I'll see you in 2022. Which... You know, some people would look as a product efficiency. Uh, you've got yeah, it's like you again. Well, this is what I was going to ask you about SIM cards. Culture, it's so interesting, like culture and pricing, right? Like you go buy an $18 martini and not blink tonight, but a $9 app, whoa, like insurance, you pay for insurance a year in advance. Like there's no, there's no monthly bill. There's $10 a month surcharge from, I mean, it's just some things we just accept this and, and the rest of the world. The rest of the world operates on like your fo- you find a phone, your SIM card, like it's all one in the same here. It has been like you guys are really, I think, pushing this, but it's it's just so interesting to me. It just works so differently in the US where, where I mean, UK, people just swap SIM cards and providers. And I would say 95% of US people don't know, having just done it last night, what a SIM card is or where they would take <laughs> it out of their phone. So <laughs> when I was at Taco Bell, we would travel all over the world for production you'd go to South America or you'd go to Europe and they'd have little like plastic baggies and they have five or six SIM cards in there. And you're like, what is that? Yeah. And they go, well, if we go to Germany, got to get to Vodafone. If you're going to go here, you need this one. If you're here, you need this one. And then you go to Chile where we would shoot a lot and you'd be in Santiago and they'd had one carrier who was exceptional. You get outside of Santiago and you got to switch SIMs. So they get it and they pop them in and out like nothing. And our leadership team, who you know are wireless guys, they do this. I'll tell you, the U.S. market—it's bizarre, man. The wireless market—it'd be like going to a gas station and buying your car. Yeah. Why? Why would you trust the gas station to sell you a vehicle? It's just so interesting that when a market develops in a certain way, like user behavior, yes. just hard to change. But there is something coming. So Mint, yeah. we, we talk about innovation a lot and we talk about risk, right? And testing and failing. So Mint, I am always pushing for new and exciting and what's what's going to drive the business. There is a technology called embedded SIM. eSIM. Yeah. E-SIM. I was trying to teach my wife on this last night because I was telling her we have a new phone to activate the eSIM so that when we go abroad... Typically, when we go abroad, we would buy a cheap. We learned the roaming's ten dollars a day. We buy a cheap card, but then you don't have the same phone number. And I was like, activate the eSIM. And then we go abroad. You can tell the phone to just run data off the. Yes. So, so okay. yeah. So you're light years ahead of the American market. I know. I I know. I am in the top one percent on this topic. But this is. Yes. I've learned this from my European friends. That's the only reason I know it. So the eSIM thing is really interesting because you can find articles out there which show or say the carriers were pushing against it because an embedded SIM card and the need to or to remove the need to physically pull out a piece of plastic, yeah, that increases the ability or chance of churn or leaving the network you're on. So they don't want ease. Complexity drives a store visit, drives upsell, drives recharge, drives all these business behaviors. We adopted that technology. We're the first MVNO, which is basically our sector because we don't own towers. We're yeah. a virtual network operator. Um, but we adopted it right away. We're the first, number one. We have been seeing such neat adoption from it and people are really gravitating to it. I believe this is the future. 
So what does that mean? You just you can just change everything online with providers, like rather than having to swap the card, you can do it in real time. Doesn't everyone's system have to talk to each other in order for that to work? Let me give you an analogy first, and then I'll explain. Yeah. The original wireless approach is very much like the original banking approach. You go to a branch, you walk in, you have a one-on-one engagement with a representative, you walk out happy. Then Mint was the invention of the ATM. You go to a machine, you put in your card, you get money out, you're satisfied. It's all automated, do it yourself. Yeah. eSIM is going to be like Venmo, where it's just digital currency, digital banking, it's all back and forth and seamless. But to answer your question, the hardware needs to have the eSIM in it. So if Apple, Samsung, and Google put the eSIM in, which Apple has them in their devices now, the Pixel 6, it was in the Pixel 5, but it's in that device too, and Samsung is on board as well. Once they get the physical, it's a microprocessor in the device, it's carrier agnostic. The antennas are what connect to the different networks. The chip just connects you to that cellular network. I know, look, I'm not an engineer. But Apple has to open that database to you to let you grab control of that SIM. We're already there. See, that's how it works. I'm not an engineer. I'm sorry. We, we Don't get me in trouble here. But because we're, like, we have a partnership with Apple, we're in the firmware. So when you, when you scan that QR code with Mint and you've got an Apple eSIM, you basically go through the process to either get a new number or bring your number, but it just works. Just works, yeah. And all the phones are dual SIM now, one eSIM, one physical, so yeah. Uh, or you could even have multiple eSIMs. Like there's a lot coming in this space, but yeah. we, look, you talk about building the brand and doing different things and how are we able to do this? We, we are an innovative direct-to-consumer brand. I think of us very much as an innovator, as a D2C brand that happens to be selling wireless more than I see us as a wireless company that's selling online. Yeah. Well, I, I'll, let me bring it full circle because I'm curious. I read that, you know, you just talked about the Super Bowl ad and how it worked and totally paid off. What year was that? Was that nine? Was that 20 or 19? 19. I think it was 19. All right. And then I read in, you know, in 2021, you decided not to do a Super Bowl ad uh, and use that budget to raise the data limits for customers. What prompted that change in strategy? So in 19, we ran the ad. Between 19 and 20, Ryan comes on and we talked to him about Super Bowl and he goes, $5.5 million for 30 seconds. He looked at me straight, hard no. <laughs> like, and that was it. It's like, like, I got 80 million followers. Like, we'll just do that. <laughs> and, and we looked at it and we yeah. didn't see it either, but we wanted to like, once you're a Super Bowl advertiser, you almost have a duty to do something the next year. Well, that yeah. next year... We took out a paper ad, a newspaper ad, and what we ended and it's up not doing, like let's be honest, it's not like they send you a coupon for next year's Super Bowl, right? I mean, no. yeah, <laughs> and it's different networks. So yeah. CBS gets it one year, Fox yeah. gets it the next year. So there's no deals. But um, what we did was we took out a full page ad in the New York Times, and in the New York Times ad, we said, look, instead of buying a Super Bowl ad, we're going to give the product away. We could give away hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years of service. So that's exactly what we'll do. We did that following our Super Bowl ad, and that thing, it blew the, that one almost broke the website. Like that one, I was on tech support calls as the so Super Bowl. So, what was the actual offer? It was get three months free. Got it. But you guys went out there and said, instead of a Super Bowl ad, we're just going to give you three months free. That was the print ad. The print ad literally said that. And then we said, at, when kickoff starts, the program's live. We kicked it off at kickoff, and I was watching Google Analytics. 
Yeah. And we were getting hit by bots as well. There was a lot of like yeah. unscrupulous behavior happening and it was going to crash our website, but we had built it. We knew what to do. So we had a very successful Super Bowl that year, blew the doors off all transactions, had a huge trial program basically. And then COVID hit. A year passes, we come back to Super Bowl again. And yes, again, we decided to not do an ad. But instead of doing something temporary, which is giving the service away to new people, we decided to take that money and make the service better for everyone. So all existing customers, the service got better. Your monthly allotment of data went up at no cost to you. And it stayed there. It's not like we took it up for one month. We took it up. It's permanent go. And then we did that for all new customers going forward. So you know, this is an instance where we took marketing funds to make the product better, which I kind of love, you know, it just felt like a better use of the dollars than the awareness driver of the Super Bowl. Yeah. Mix it up, do the opposite, <laughs> do something different, right? That That's the strategy. Yeah. I'm a huge fan and my team, if they're listening to this, are already about to roll their heads because they can see my hands in the air where I say, if the category is doing this over here on the right, we will be over here doing something different on the left. That is just one of the core brand tenets we have for Mint, and that is to disrupt the space. And you can't disrupt by doing the same thing over and over again. So I should expect the door-to-door salesman soon coming by for for Memo. We've got a big direct mail program, which people have abandoned direct mail in droves. I can tell you, they've not abandoned it this December. I come home every day and there is a pile uh, on the counter. Particularly anyone you ever gave money to comes in, you know, yeah. But but here's the thing. With people working from home now, yeah, direct mail has, re, has had a resurgence. I talked to our direct mail vendors. We've been with them for years. And I'm like, hey, 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 hey. Our mailer's getting awfully full all of a sudden. And yeah. they're going, all right, we're, we're going to do you a solid. You've been with us for a long time. So, you know, I do sense that direct mail is becoming more popular right now. But it's something we've been on for a long time. All right, Aaron, last question for you. Uh, what's a, this can be, this is multivariant, uh, since I know you like science. This can be, you can be personal and professional or single repeated, but what's a personal or professional mistake that you've made that you've learned the most from? One of the big professional mistakes I made that like, it really was exacerbated at Taco Bell and my boss helped me get over this was not trusting my gut. When you get to a place like Taco Bell, the scale of your decisions are so immense, you really start second-guessing yourself. But in many instances, your instincts and your training and everything you have leading to you to make an initial decision is very good. Questioning yourself is okay. Questioning yourself to the point of talking yourself out of decisions is yeah. bad. I really, really felt like that was a big piece for me I needed to learn and grow from. Personally, I don't know if I've had a lot of, I'm sure I've had tons of personal failures, but like, I just feel like the thing that I, I learned from my father and that I try and do with my own family is to make sure that, I don't know if it's genetic to be a workaholic or if it's just that we've both ended up in careers we loved, but make sure you find time during the day to spend with your family. I I mean, working at home has been a blessing in disguise. My son and I will go through the football for 20 minutes while it's still daylight. You know, yeah. it gets dark at five o'clock nowadays. I would miss that completely. The so, hardest days of the year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's brutal. But like at three o'clock, I can go outside and throw the football for 20 minutes. And I think, what is that 20 minutes going to do? Right. Is it really going to kill your day? Or can you find that 20 minutes later on at night? And it's just so 
the the amount of love and appreciation you know even a little guy has for just being able to step outside and throw the football personally it gives me a lot of fulfillment too so i don't know if that's a failure but it's something i'm constantly like thinking about in my head which is how to make sure i give family as much priority as they really really deserve that's a good one all right aaron where can uh, people learn more about you and uh and Min mobile uh, well, Mint, just go to our website or Google it. Um, me, <laughs> I don't know why people would want to learn about me, but I'm on LinkedIn. All right. So just know that Aaron has one A, one R, one O, and one N. All right. Well, they'll, they'll be able to find you. Uh, well, thanks for joining us. I, I loved hearing about your story and all the innovative stuff you've done at Mint Mobile. It's not, not a surprise uh, hearing how the sausage is made that you've been so successful. Well, thank you. And I'd love to do this again. This was great. Yeah, let's do it. I'll... I'll uh, after the Super Bowl this year, maybe maybe we'll do a review of Super Bowl ads. Uh, we could do some sort of special. <laughs> I love to be on that panel. I, I like two by two matrix, but there's a quadrant of like funny. And do I even remember what the hell the product was, or could it have any utility for the company? Right? I, the, the it's trying to get into that. Like it both got my attention, and I know what the product was, and I'm interested in the product. Yeah, and then I gotta wonder like. The reason we do marketing is for commercial reasons. Like, yeah. will any of these sell any product? Let's find out. But yeah, I'm in. Well, I, you'll, you'll get a copy of uh, Matt and I's new book, Moving to Outcomes, which is coming out in March. And, and one of our sort of future hypotheses is that instead of the Super Bowl being the seminal branding event, that it actually becomes a seminal conversion event You know, soon, or people start thinking about how to use that power to click attract you know and i I think that's going to come sooner than we think well we've got three case studies on that one that can help fuel that uh that conversation all right i'll get those from you well thank you again yeah loved it have a great day well to our listeners thanks for tuning into the elevate podcast today we'll include links to uh, aaron and mint mobile on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com thanks again for your support until next time keep elevating This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.